Ethan. And this is Weekly Neurosis. This is the magic episode. Mm. So magic. good. It's magical. We got a really awesome episode. Yes. Uh, this week we're going to be reviewing the movie The Witch, which is a technically new release, was technically released in 2015. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in Movie of the Week. Our album of the week is a 2005 release from the Black Keys, Magic Potion. And uh, what are we pulling out of the champagne bucket this week? But a um, mob craft beer. I was going to say, you tell me. You picked this. What do we got? It's night and day. And it's a vanilla black ale, but I believe it's a porter. And it's from... Um, from Mobcraft Brewing Company in Madison, Wisconsin. What they do actually is pretty interesting. They actually crowdsource their beer. Which, if you don't know what crowdsourcing is, it's where you, like, by populist vote, they determine which beer they're going to make, and then they buy it. Oh, it looks delicious. A vanilla black ale. Okay. I just poured it out, and just by looking at it, I kind of assumed it was a porter or a stout because it's very dark. It's like can't see through it dark, which is good. Yeah. And it smells very vanilla-y. Have you had this before? I've actually never had this, and I've never, up until today, I did not know that they actually canned their beer. They normally sell it in uh, Bombers. Cool. But this is a black ale with a little hint of vanilla, earthy noble hops used for an aroma, Meet the gentle kiss of vanilla in this striking interpretation on a still young hybrid style of beer. And this was the beer of the month for them in September. So what they do is they'll put out like eight recipes. Mm -hmm. And then people, by voting, you buy a six-pack of Bombers. Mm. It's super vanilla flavored. Especially on the first, when it first hits your lips. (laughs) When it first hits your lips, it's super vanilla. Super vanilla. But it definitely has a, it definitely got some hops in the tail, and a little bit of the coffee flavor type going on in it as well. So there's clearly clearly some roasted malt action going on in Ooh, here. Wow. But it's really tasty. It's very light bodied too, so I could actually probably drink this quickly. Oh wow! Yeah, I get the same thing. A lot of vanilla, a lot of sweetness. Yeah. Like you said, it's very light. By pouring it out, it's because it pours very very dark. You wouldn't think, and we'll put a, a picture of it on Facebook. Yeah, I always find actually a lot of these darker beers that they have this reputation for being, you know, so thick and heavy. But really, I think a lot of times darker colored beers are actually, you know, easier to drink, more palatable than than something like an IPA. Certainly. Yeah, because uh, you can go real. Because well, IPAs have some like such a heavy hot presence that right. you can really go wrong with that. This is really good. I actually really like this. Yeah, me too. It's the it's a good beer for this time of year too and here in wisconsin where it's it's still winter but it's getting warmer out and it's refreshing yet it's got a lot going on in it so mm-hmm. yeah it's really good and i don't know their the mobcraft status if they're still a microbrewery but these guys were for a while like brewing in like a like not a mechanics garage but you know that size of garage where it's kind of small okay they were like brewing in there making like these tiny batches but 
Cool beans. Glad to see him, and it definitely fits our theme this week, night and day, with the movie The Witch, yeah. Magic, Magic Potion. Yes. Um, so this is this is the magic episode. So, magic by definition, once again, it is a noun, and it, the definition is the power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces, and it can also be used as an adjective, meaning used in magic or working by magic. Having apparently having supernatural powers. Yeah, cool. So not as cool as the hell definition, but what does the magic mean to you? Well, I mean, I'm into fantasy and mm -hmm. you know Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. So I mean, instantly I think of things like that. But really, yeah, magic is kind of this mysterious force that, you know, at least in fiction, certainly is a reality. I don't know if magic is a real thing. I have my doubts, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, magic to me just is it's an unexplained phenomenon that can alter objects and move objects by some sort of means that we can't necessarily explain but it's just mysterious and it can be cool and since it is so without any grounds in reality it can really be anything you you make it to be in your imagination yeah and I'm, I'm the same way i think that there's like the magic that we know like magicians do you know where it's like a visual trick mm -hmm. then the same side same kind of what you were saying there's like this mysterious side to it that because I've, I've read a lot of stuff about like voodoo and I've studied voodoo a little bit. Sure. And that's like considered, you know, like dark magic, dark arts. And like that to me too is, is part of it too. It's kind of got this like good and evil side, kind of black and white type magic. But Absolutely. I think of like things like Harry Potter. Yeah, big reminds time. me of magic. Even the Force in Star Wars. That's yep. a type of magic, right? Yeah. Being a Jedi, you're basically being a magician. I think Supernatural so. powers. Absolutely. But, yeah, interesting word. So um, our high-priority news items, we will be covering the Oscars. Big time. In our Movie of the Week section. So this will be a, most likely a little bit longer of an episode. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe well, we'll just get in disagree a disagreement and just walk out. That really has yet to so. happen, Nate. That ha I don't think it will. Yeah, but it will come on. At some point. Come on. At some point. We can't agree on anything. Otherwise, people will be like, why Why listen? I just, changed, I just changed my scores as you're... Can I give it a 10? Don't Me do, too, no. Don't do that. I'm not. I would never. But um, one huge thing that got announced yesterday, or the day before, mm -hmm. is that Stephen, yesterday. Yesterday, Stephen King <clears throat> tweeted, so then it's official. But no, it was announced that um, Stephen King's novel, The Dark Tower, is officially going to be made after years and efforts. Uh, it's going to be heading for production with Idris Elba as the gunslinger Matthew McConaughey has been confirmed as the mystical man in black. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the Dark Tower books, there's technically eight of them, but I've actually only read seven of them because he, he published an eighth book just a couple of years ago that fits in between some of the other books, and it's more of a segue story, so you don't really need to read it. But yes, Stephen King is my, my favorite author of all time. I've read pretty much every one of his books except for maybe one or two, and... This series is is easily one of my favorites of his, and uh, it's had a really storied back and forth battle with different studios, writers, directors, actors, um, who have been as far as confirmed before in the past, just to have it canceled. So, for this to come from Stephen King himself, it seems pretty solid to me. And actually, Idris Elba and McConaughey were both tweeting about it themselves yeah. as well. Um, so this seems pretty official, and I believe Entertainment Weekly had the exclusive story at first. That had some details about the production itself, which I don't want to go into it because if you don't know what the Dark Tower is, it would be tedious and I would spoil things for you. But this is an, an amazing 
fantasy slash horror, science fiction, drama type story that has just an enormous scope and it go it has uh, things like uh, different dimensions and creatures and all this stuff going on and it all kind of revolving around this central plot. So this is going to be a series then, it's, possibly. It will be. It will not just be a single thing. Okay. And I remember the last time it was almost actually made, Ron Howard was supposed to direct it. Okay. I believe either Russell Crowe or Javier Bardem was set to play uh, Roland, who is the, the main character, uh, the gunslinger. Mm-hmm. In the books, um, but from what I understand, this time around, I think it's just going to be movies, from the sounds of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that for sure. And apparently, they're going to kind of play with the timeline of it. They even flat out said when they announced this that um, the order of which the events from the books are going to be portrayed might disappoint some longtime fans of it. But I, I th- I've mentioned it before on the podcast that I don't really care about things necessarily being true to the source material as long as it captures the essence of it Mm -hmm. Um, so i'm super pumped for this i think it has potential to be great i think it's one of stephen king's better works even though it doesn't seem to be like a series of his books that people talk about as much no because i think of other novels but my question to you is then why why was there such a lag in creating it because it was like a bigger hit especially in the cult following realm well the issue has always been whenever it's fallen through in the past is the budget would be too big because like i said this is an extremely extremely large project to take on really detailed it's a very epic story Mm -hmm. with lots of big uh you know cityscapes and locations and fantasy worlds they would have to create so this is no small undertaking and mm-hmm. uh matthew mcconaughey playing uh the man in black whose, whose character's name is randall flag uh, i mean is incredible as well and it actually opens the door because if you know stephen king this dark tower series is kind of the centerpiece in all of his works and i would say probably like 20 or 30 of his books actually connect to this series in some way mm-hmm. and this character randall flag played by matthew mcconaughey uh is actually in a bunch of his other books he's actually also the primary villain in the book the stand so that kind of opens the door to, to that project as well but this is fantastic idris elba is an amazing actor i think he fits the role perfectly mm-hmm. there might be some controversy because he isn't caucasian like Roland has generally been uh, portrayed as in the books, but Idris, I mean, we couldn't ask for a better actor than Idris Elba to take this role. No, he's phenomenal. This is going to be great. Everybody look up the Dark Tower. You will be fascinated. Are they, re- are they long <laughs> books? Uh, no, not really. They get they sort of get longer as they go. The first book is actually really short. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you could probably read in a sitting or two if you are a pretty quick reader. It's only like two or 300 pages, but the books get longer as they go. Okay. But uh, they're really, really great books. Nice. Yeah, I was telling, same before the show, I'd, I would need to find some fiction to read, so I might have to check that out. Yes. Our other big big news item, not obviously as big as that, is that Nickelodeon announced something that I think everyone, for everyone, will kind of be a blast from the past. They are going to relaunch, not really, but um, the Legends of the, Hidden, Legends of the Hidden Temple, the epic game show from the mid-90s, and they're going to do a live-action TV movie to start. But I think almost everyone has some memory of that game show. You were talking about it. Yeah. I was utterly confused the first time I saw it. And you were saying off air you thought like they took them away and that was it for them. Well, yeah, when I was a kid when I, well, I mean, I was yeah. a kid when the show was on and kind of the last thing they had to do, because it was sort of like a game show, right? Mm-hmm. And the last thing they had to do is like go through this temple and there was like these guards in it and there was a couple like places they could fall and get trapped in. Mm-hmm. 
And when I was a kid, I didn't know. I thought when they got trapped in there, that was it. Like, they were never getting out for real. Yeah. What I, honestly, my memory of it is that they were, like, teen, like high school age kids. And then when I saw this, that was, like, my memory of it. And then when I saw this, I, like, Googled it. I was like, oh, there's got to be, a, like, a picture online. And they were, like, children. Well, it's like when you're, when you're in first grade and you get your yearbook and you look at, like, the eighth graders or the... They're freshmen huge. and they look like these monsters and now you look back at, at them again and it's like they're i mean they're children mm -hmm. yeah it's all relative <laughs> yeah so that was interesting for me that they're bringing it back i'm a little bit interested in how they're going to make this a live action tv movie but yeah, what's up with i don't that? know if that's I'd, I'd i think they'd get tremendous ratings by just relaunching it so i mean when i hear that it sounds like they're going to take kind of the central story mm -hmm. or not story the central idea of what this hidden temple was and make it into a into a story yeah i guess that's kind of cool yeah and i guess it's going to be children based it's not gonna not gonna be for us for us adults now but yeah ran from 1993 to 1995 originally an olmec head who i think rick ross has a diamond encrusted pendant of the really olmec head. yeah i think i so. can picture it. like that's an image i will never get out of my head and then the eyes light up it was yeah. kind of freaky. It was, man. Let's be honest. But um, anyhow, this has been this is the magic episode. This is not Ben. We're not done yet. We have a long way to go. Um, <laughs> this is the magic episode. Again, we'll be reviewing uh, the movie The Witch. Mm -hmm. um, you'll be hearing in the break music from our album of the week, Magic Potion, which again, like all our albums, typically available for download on any of the streaming services, and you can if you want to steal it. We wouldn't recommend it. Or it's on YouTube because that's YouTube. legal and free. Come on. And then you can just yep, do that too. And our beer of the week, again, was well, going to be Dark Voyage, but that didn't fit. But Black, or sorry, Black, Night and Day from Mobcraft Brewing. Again, another wonderful thing. So something wonderful from Wisconsin. Weekly Neurosis, we'll be right back. Welcome back into the uh, magic episode mm -hmm. of Weekly Neurosis. I'll stop clicking my pen. Good call. Uh, this week we have the movie of the week, and this week it's The Witch. Ethan. Ah, oh, The Witch. All right, so this movie, The Witch, real simple plot here, because uh, it's kind of a tough movie to talk about without spoiling anything. Uh, a family in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. And that's it. That's all we're giving you. This movie is starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Ralph Innocent, Kate Dickey, Harvey Scrimshaw, Ellie Granger, and Lucas Dawson. Uh, production team, it was written and directed by Robert Eggers, who actually won the Best Director Award at Sundance last year. For this mm -hmm. film, it was produced by Daniel Beckerman, Lars Knudsen, Jody Redmond, and Jay Vay Hoy. Music by Mark Corvin, which I'm sure we'll talk about the music. And cinematography by Yaren Blaschke. Don't know if I pronounced half those names right, but we're going to leave it at that. Uh, this movie was released January 27, 2015 at Sundance, but was then re-released 
February 19th, 2006, nationwide due to positive word of mouth. Mm -hmm. This film was produced on a tiny budget of $3.5 million. Nate, what did you think? Well, I really liked this film. I think it's marketed as a, as a horror film, which it is at its core. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of those psychological thriller elements. And you mentioned the music. We'll get to that. But it, it, it just seemed to have this almost cerebral element to it. It just kept playing with you. And it's based, if you, at the beginning of the film, this isn't really a spoiler, it says uh, New England Folktale. It doesn't say based or on a new, it just says just a New, new England, England folktale. Folk and that's very important, Which I think. Which is very important. <laughs> but it, it, this whole film, I think when it comes down to it, and I was thinking of how to say this, the best horror films are the ones that are slightly or totally believable. Because you sit there and you think to yourself, this could actually happen. Mm -hmm. You watch this film, it seems very believable because of the casting, which is phenomenal, the acting, which is phenomenal, the cinematography by um, Yaron Blaschke, who I've never heard of before, but he did a phenomenal job in this film. Yeah. But overall, really loved it. Well, um, I, I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to say because this movie blew me away yeah like it blew me away to a point where very 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 few movies blew me away but i didn't really realize it blew me away until i was driving home from the movies because i think <clears throat> when this movie was done and we were kind of talking in the lobby after the movie yesterday we were kind of like what mm -hmm. what was that and clearly the audience we were with uh, had some mixed opinions, and we'll, we'll, we can talk about that later as well. But this movie, it, I think, is incredible. I am a huge horror movie fan, and this had all the check marks crossed off, all the check boxes crossed for horror movie, and then it went about 100 miles further than I thought it was going to. Mm -hmm. I love this movie so much. I thought it was so incredibly dark and dreadful and depressing and just terrifying and gross and creepy but also just told this, this awesome story about this, the evil in the world in the most interesting way ever. I, I loved this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I and absolutely loved it. I think the reason it took so long to kind of marinate too is because there's a boatload of symbolism yeah. in this movie. It is just from start to finish. It, it, there's, it's just nonstop throughout it. Evil being a big piece, religion being a big piece. Well, yeah, possession, all that stuff is is tied into it. Religion is especially plays a huge role because the movie is really about this puritanical, mm -hmm. this group of this this family that's so religious that they get basically kicked out of the religious community they lived in in 1630s New England. Yeah. So that kind of shows you, and they go out into the woods and they kind of accept like we're gonna make our own life out here, and you kind of see how things go from mm -hmm. there, and. Uh, it's, it's a hard movie to really talk about too much in terms of its story. But I think we can kind of talk about this movie. The core elements of the, it. The core elements of it without, without spoiling it. Yeah. Because I think it's a movie where not necessarily a whole lot happens, but nothing that we see on screen, at least in my opinion, felt needless. Because yeah. this, this, this has a very high artistic element to it. Right. That you can't, you don't really see. But... In terms of the film itself, I think if we just kind of touch on it down point by point, sure. the casting, just to start, phenomenal. The, every character fits the piece perfectly. Every character's kind of creepy mm -hmm. in their own way. 
even the there's a the main character which I didn't happen to look up who she is the kind of teenage girl that was Anya Taylor Joy yeah she's I mean she's pretty you know she's a pretty girl but at the same time she's kind of creepy and she's actually like 20 years old in real life which yeah. is weird because they she's play her off like, like kind of a teenager like, like 13 or yeah, 14 or early teenager yeah but yeah, the children are all creepy. The mother and father are kind of creepy. Everyone's creepy. Everything feels off about this movie. Yeah. You feel like you're invading on this weird family and you shouldn't mm -hmm. be watching it. But no, I totally agree. And I think the, a good way to start talking about this is how believable it is. Yeah. The, the, all, <laughs> absolutely. All the performances were uh, excellent. And I particularly point out uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who is sort of the main character here. And then the older brother, played by uh, Harvey Scrimshaw, who I've never Ooh, seen. That sounds like a pirate name. It does. Legit you're right, you're right. You're right. But the, 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 I thought those were both the best performances, and they kind of carry the movie outside of maybe the father, who they were all great. Yeah. But uh, I think one thing that accompanies how great the acting was is the dialogue in this movie. Which is authentic. Super authentic. authentic. Old English. Old English. 1630s dialogue. So lots of thous, these, yeah. hithers. Those kind of things. It's 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 a movie that you need to be prepared to really pay attention to because mm -hmm. as closely as I was paying attention to this, there I wish I had subtitles for a lot of it. Yeah. Because it was very difficult to understand. There are very thick accents and the dialogue, which was very poetic and beautiful, and a lot of the scenes in this that didn't necessarily have a lot going on were kind of heightened by how good the dialogue was. Mm -hmm. And for cinematography, it was a lot of that tight and wide. It would bring mm -hmm. you in really tight on the the whoever was talking or what was going on with these kind of almost like narrow shots or a wide shot but in a narrow room and then when it came to the nature scapes it was these wide shots to just kind of give you a, a presence of like this is a huge wooded area god knows what's in this woods and they did a good job too the woods in the movie are always black in the background mm -hmm. so i don't know if that's how the time of day they shot at that it was like that but it gave you this sense of something's out there you know, and well, it, exactly. it sets you up for the film. Right, and I think they, they probably utilize a lot of natural lighting in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, because, yeah, the cinematography was gorgeous. One thing, going to the shots of the, um, a lot of the wider shots of the forest, they were very static. They weren't necessarily moving the camera a lot. And a lot of times you'd see a character walking into the woods or they would walk out of frame and you got this sense that you could get lost so easily in them. But uh, one thing in terms of the cinematography I think we should point out is is the lighting in this, mm -hmm. is that it captures this kind of darkness these people were always living in. And we take our electric-filled lives for granted. I mean, we have lights everywhere for everything. We have more light than we need, probably. Yeah. But these people lived in the dark perpetually. And this movie really captured when they're in their house, they have one candle. I don't know if you've ever lit a candle during, like, when the power's out or something and tried to light a whole room with it. It doesn't work that well. No. But that's all these people had, and this movie captured that really well, especially... Even when they were at, uh, outside at night, it captured how dark it was. And, and dim, and yeah, just and throughout history, that's how it was. Actually, an interesting fact, kind of a side note, is that if you, like a dimmable light, any level of that, as you go up and down, is as, is as bright as a light bulb could get at one time. Right. So even, so if you think about a candle compared to a light bulb, it's like darkness. And even like when it's dusk, you, you see it, you realize how limited things are. And actually, when I came home from this movie, I came downstairs, and my wife and I were talking, and I think she thought I was upstairs, so she turned all the lights off. So I was in, like, total darkness, and I was like, nope, nope, not doing this right now, but... 
Yeah, dude, and I just think this movie, ca it's not just tonally dark, because certainly what's going on in the movie is very dark and depressing, but it just looks, it just captures it so well. And I think the, la like the last major technical thing we should talk about before jumping into the, some of the more analysis of this is mm. the music, oh. which is super effective, super Yay. creepy, lots of long, drawn-out string notes and drone sounds and like chanting and vocals. Vocals. Opera, oh. Almost like an opera vocal with like a droning opera vocal, if that makes any sense. Yeah, big time. But, but it's also used minimal, very minimally. Yeah. It's not throughout the whole movie there's a lot long sequences where there's no music at all and i feel that the movie in the theater is very effective at that i feel like if you saw it at home unless you had a pretty decent sound system like that the base of the this you know music that kind of set the mood what was just phenomenal and it, it really that's one of the things i think that really elevated it for me you're right not only is the music creepy but the lack of it in so many scenes kind of again adds to that feeling yeah. of dread that awkwardness just that like you're not supposed to be seeing what you're seeing here i even think and if you see the trailer for this movie there's a a critic quote that said something like i feel like i'm watching something i shouldn't be seeing and that really nails it down because mm -hmm. this movie is just super uncomfortable <laughs> to watch and maybe that's not satisfying to a lot of people but uh it was perfect to me so I guess that maybe leads me to what I think a lot of people are going to straight up hate about this movie. And there's actually a lot of things to say in terms of this movie that I think a lot of people are going to find this movie boring. Mm -hmm. Straight up boring. And that's because I think in part it was advertised as this, you know, witch in the woods, scary, maybe possession type thing going on. But it's really not. It's very much a period piece movie that plays this folklore element in a straight up way. Mm -hmm. But it's it's very slow paced and I think a lot of people are gonna kind of feel like they were gypped when they saw this. But having said that, I don't think this is, I'm kind of surprised this got such a wide release. Because mm -hmm. this very much feels like an art house movie. Yes, yeah. So I, I, I get it, I, we actually heard some people in the theater when it was over very vocally expressing their <laughs> yeah the one lady she said well i wish i would have stayed at home and watched the super tuesday rather than this movie or something like that right and i get it because i do think that if you're expecting something or if you if you're if you're not into things that are slower and maybe a little bit more psychological this is going to mm -hmm. be painful for you because it but it what it does though very well is it it sets the mood and it keeps you there. It doesn't, it's not something, at no point in the film do you feel that they're safe. No. At no point in the film do you, like, you constantly feel like, even though they're, even when they're in their home kind of, you know, locked up and they're protected, they're not. Mm -mm. And they're always uncomfortable. Anytime a character is walking outside, you think something's going to happen. And sometimes it right. does, sometimes it doesn't. But it's still, it's got this just amazing feel to it. But that's assuming that you get sucked in by the atmosphere and yeah. this. And pe me and you, I think we, we, we are a little bit more open to things like this. But if maybe you don't watch as many horror movies if you're, or if you've only ever seen a lot of the theatrical or at least horror movies in the last couple of decades, this is going to seem very kind of out of left field. Mm -hmm. um, and I just feel like if you want jump scares and blood and gore, this isn't satisfying. And a lot of people associate horror with that. Well, I personally... I, I am not complaining about those things. I, mm -hmm. I'm just putting the disclaimer out there that I think a lot of people should maybe do their research before going to see this because while it certainly is a horror movie, it is not 
not a major no yeah <laughs> a I major think, type release horror movie it's I better than this that. yeah i think this honestly has the potential to be kind of the valhalla rising of the horror genre at least for 2016 that even the 10 of people that are gonna like love this movie there's still gonna be no a way dude group. this is the drive it's, of horror movies okay okay so let's jump into it then beyond all the technical elements like i could talk for hours about this movie mm -hmm. because there was so much that this movie was aiming to do that was a home run for me yeah and i think i like this movie a lot more than you yeah because i, I don't get me wrong though i like it i just for me it needed to be just a hair not a lot but just a hair longer to expand on a few plot points okay and i can't get into details because it'd be a spoiler but i thought they they did rush and they, it's not even to call it a rush isn't a good thing. They kind of, you know, quickly, briskly walked through certain plot areas. Mm -hmm. But even still, it, I don't know, it just, I okay. got sucked into Some it. I don't feel like I'm a huge horror buff either, and I got sucked into it. Yeah, I felt like, I, I mean, the whole time I was just transfixed by this by this movie from, from the very beginning of it. I, like, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but I think I, my expectations were, I, speaking of expectations being wrong for a horror movie, I was so used to these. Every year, it seems like we've had one of these um, movie like It Follows, which is very much for for me at least, kind of a commentary on uh, teen abstinence or the dangers of of unprotected sex and that kind of thing. And then something like The Babadook, which was very much an allegory for you know grief and having demons that you can never really get rid of, but you can kind of tuck away and deal with. I was so convinced that this movie was going to be one of those allegories, and I think in part it is. I mm -hmm. think this movie is making a statement about the power of belief in religion. Um, this movie was way more straightforward than I was anticipating, because I was, up until the final frame of this movie, frantically searching in my brain for, some, for the rug to get pulled under my feet and for everything we'd seen to kind of not be what it was. So I hope that's not a spoiler. You'd have to be pretty smart for that to be a spoiler, I think. Mm -hmm. But this movie, to me, was... In a lot of ways, just a straight-up folklore. This was a this is a movie that is about th this is the kind of story that people these Puritan uh, religious individuals in 1630 would tell one another sitting around the fire and not question a single thing. Mm -hmm. This is truth for people like this from the 17th century. To me, this is if one of those stories of witches in the woods worshiping in the devil were true, this would be the final result. And to me, it just encapsulated that dark, creepy, terrifying feel that horror movies should have where, where you look out into the woods, like you had mentioned, and you just know that something's out there. And this movie wants to show you what it is. And to me, it was just, it was everything a horror movie should be. I honestly, I can only think of like five or six other horror movies I've ever seen that have given me that feeling and that's when i see horror movies that's what i'm looking for yeah and i think having myself having done the you know east coast kind of like ancient america tour and seeing how people lived like it, that's why it kind of registered for me a little bit more because i i studied that and, sure, and stuff sure. and but yeah, very, I have to though say that this movie is like 100% the authentic article article in terms of like research and the presentation of it, the language. Yeah. Very, very authentic. It's just a, it's just an, a totally interesting movie, I think. And uh, one I, I instantly wanted to see again, and I, and I guarantee I will. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's hard to talk about without spoiling it, though. It's very difficult. Because from the start of the movie... The everything's spelled out for you very literally. 
Mm-hmm. You're not left guessing. It's, you know, pretty much instantly you're there. Kind of, though. Like, kind of, but then it unravels, and then... It, it, it makes you ask those questions, but it, at the end of the day, gives you a very concrete... <laughs> yeah. Kind of thing. And I and I think some people might dislike how this movie ends because maybe some people um want a movie to maybe be a little bit more challenging of religious ideals or whatever. And this movie at the end of the day I don't think is really questioning the validity of uh, a religious belief. Mm-hmm. This movie is simply telling the story from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Telling the story from somebody who very passionately believes in things like witches and the devil. And if I believed in that, this is the kind of thing I would look into the woods and know we're out there. And that's why it's so creepy to me, knowing that for a lot of people, this is real, even if it isn't in our tangible world. I just love this movie. Yeah, it was good. So what would you rate this, 1 to 10? Well, when I was thinking about it yesterday, I was rolling 9 out of 10. But, man, I thought about it all day. I got to give it a 10. And I feel just wacky because I... I've, how many times have I said I only give like four or five movies a 10 out of 10? And this is yeah. the third movie on this podcast I've given a 10 out of 10. But yeah. rest assured, listeners, I usually don't give this... Very few movies I see in a year, and I watch a lot of movies every year, get a 10 out of 10. But this movie was everything I want in a movie like this. And it was it went so much further than I ever expected it to be. And it was so well made and so well acted. And it was a period piece, and it was a drama, and it was a horror movie, and it was just everything I want when I see movies. So mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. For me, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Okay. Um, I think everything, it checked all the boxes for me. There were some plot, for me, indiscrepancies that, to me, just kind of bugged me, and they, they swept over a few things. Or briskly walked, what did I say before? Briskly walked past. That works. <laughs> plot point, whatever. Yeah, I love this film. I, I, it's not for everybody. No, it's certainly not. Definitely not. But if you like horror films, and maybe you're into Coen Brothers and movies, it's not too, just, it's not it just if know. you like horror movies. If if you're a horror movie fan who has seen movies that have been made before, like the '90s, because mm-hmm. this is very much a horror movie with old sensibilities. This is more on the lines of Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist than you know Saw. It's that kind of movie. And I I, th- I just think it was kind of advertised wrong. Yeah. Uh, maybe not wrong. It was just, I just don't, I'm just still amazed at this movie after yeah, seeing it. It's such a huge release. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like the kind yeah. of movie people would embrace. I don't know. I was it wasn't just... overly gory either. No, it really wasn't. Really? There's very minimal gore. But it was gross. It was gross. A lot of the gory movies I've seen, this was harder to watch than some of yeah. them. Because there are some very nasty implied things that happen mm-hmm. in this movie <laughs> that actually uh, on the drive home my wife said to me that she almost got up and left after something that happened in the first like 10 minutes of the movie yeah. it was very upsetting to her and i get it yeah i get it and then when we i think when we went into the theater the ticket person was like this movie's very disturbing yeah and i, and I agree like, well but yeah she she had it right so on to our um oh, oh before we move on I have a hard time seeing any movie but The Witch being my number one movie of 2016. Let's keep that on record and see if that holds up when we do our best of at the end of the year. Yeah, nine months to go. I just can't see. I love this movie so much. I just I have a hard time seeing anything come close. Let's move on. You don't yeah. get it. You're shaking your head at me like you're crazy, man. I, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, it's your <laughs> flavor, right? I loved it. I loved it, man. So, the 88th Academy Awards... 
We both watched them. Yes, sir. Compliments to you. You live tweeted it from our Twitter account. I did. I had, it was mostly just, my live tweeting was mostly just me tweeting the, who won each yeah. award. But every now and then I would be like, Sharshi Ronan, or however you pronounce her name, she's mm -hmm. super hot. That kind of thing. Mixed in there. Not, okay, it wasn't all like that. I was also like, Star Wars is great. Star Wars is great. I think was, we actually lost a couple of Twitter followers. Yeah, us too. <laughs> Sorry, man. It's all good. Those are those people who follow you and just want you to follow them back, and when you don't, they unfollow you after a couple weeks anyway. Jerks. But yeah, Sorosi <sighs> Ronan, she's like legit Irish. I didn't know that until I saw an interview with her a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and that actually made me appreciate her performance less in Brooklyn, because I was yeah. like, oh, you're just being you. No, 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 no knock on her. She was great. No, nah, she was good. But anyhow, the uh, the awards. How do you, how deep do we want to go on this? We could probably do them all. No way. No it's way, man. Let's let's cover the main the awards, and then pick a couple of them. And well, we'll say the big the big winner in terms of numbers of the night was Mad Max. Yeah. Which was awarded six Academy Awards, all in technical categories. It didn't win Best Director. Best Picture or anything like that, but Mad Max was awarded Oscars in Best Film Editing, Best Costume Design, Best Production Design, Best Sound Mixing, Best Sound Editing, and I think that was it. Yeah. How many was that that I named? One, two... Yes. Yeah. And makeup, sorry. Makeup and hairstyling as well. So it won six Oscars, which was the big winner. Yep. But that didn't translate to the major awards. To the major awards. And also, um, you said best visual effects. A little bit of controversy there, mm -hmm. with Ex Machina winning. Well, I think less, maybe not controversy as much as it was a surprise. Because I, 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 from what I understood, people were saying, well, if it didn't go to Star Wars, it would go to Mad Max. So maybe that was the case where the votes were so split on those two that it went to a third party. Because mm -hmm. uh, I was, I mean, I, I, I think the special effects in Ex Machina are great. But honestly, compared to something like Mad Max, especially Mad Max, eh, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's great that a, a very small budget movie like that is recognized in a, in a major category like that. So that's great. And we'll come back to, to Best Original Song. But Best Original Score, The Hateful Eight, Ennio Morricone, who is a total badass. Yes. He gave his speech in Italian. In Italian, doesn't even care. He's got a translator <laughs> right there for him. That was great. Um... And then a lot of uh, short films. Best uh, documentary feature went to Amy, the documentary about Amy Winehouse. Which I agree with. You do? Okay. I, I was definitely gonna, agree I was with. wondering because I know you really talked up uh, Cartel Land. And yeah, and I think to me the the big kind of, the reason I shot Amy up higher than Cartel Land was that it, it's very realistic. There's a lot of research that went into it. There's a lot of work that went into it. And it, it actually took a medium that's already been covered and expanded it further. Whereas Cartel Land, he did an amazing job, don't get me wrong. He Does he deserve an Oscar? Yes. But to me with Amy, they, they took it a level farther than that. I actually think it was a pretty tough category because they actually just... Um, really? It was really, If really you have tough. Netflix uh, Instant, uh, The Look of Silence was actually just put on there as yep. well, and I recommend you watch that. But um, I've actually seen all of them except for Winter on Fire now. Horribly disturbing. Yes, and uh, it's interesting that uh, Amy and What Happened, Miss Simone, were both in, and I actually think music documentaries are kind of peaking right now, and we had talked about this yeah. on a previous episode, but we're really at a time where 
pop culture and music has been around for so long that there's no shortage of interesting stories about musicians to tell. And actually, I, I read a really interesting piece. Um, I, I don't know if it was a periodical in the Rolling Stone or if it was one of their web articles. But the, I don't remember the author, but he said that we're so used to seeing this superficial version of the artists that to see them in like real life in a documentary is different because not many people get to concerts these days. So I think it is going to continue to maybe grow for a little bit, but it'll probably peak out. Well, and I think to, to comment a little bit more on Amy and what happened to Miss Simone, they're actually, if you put those two docs next to each other, they're kind of interesting. Because Amy Winehouse, obviously much a much more modern mm-hmm. uh, singer. She died when she was very young. Uh, and Miss Simone, I think comparatively for her time, like Amy Winehouse, was a very controversial figure for different reasons. Very, yeah. But the they both deal. kind of shook up their respective genres. And my opinion is that Nina Simone lived and Amy Winehouse died because Nina Simone withdrew from the world. Right. Very much like Lauren Hill. I'm, I guarantee you her, her documentary is right around the corner. But She's been in the tabloids. But she, yeah, she's kind of, it's a different thing, but same deal. She kind of, they stepped back, you know? And I think sure. in watching Amy, she just, she's kind of like a fly or a, you know, a bug flying to the light. She just needed to keep doing that. Really, I honestly, I thought this was deserved. Tough category this year, though. Yeah, Amy really did a great job of showing how she was like such a good person with mm-hmm. an amazing voice, but the people she was surrounded with just Shit. pushed. They just pushed her in the wrong directions, yeah. and it killed her. Yeah, I mean, she made the choice herself to do the drugs and drink like she did, but being surrounded by people like that constantly and being given all this money and fame and attention, it goes to your head fast. It's kind of a cautionary tale. It is. Uh, best foreign language film went to Son of Saul from Hungary with uh, Laszlo Nemes, who I actually just listened to an interview of him on the podcast. I listened to uh, Men in Blazers. Very, okay. very interesting what he had to say. So I just spoke into my beer glass. Oh, yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes agreed. I honestly, I have no idea what any of these other films are. Um. A war. I've heard of a war before. Yeah. Let's move on. Um, Best Adapted Screenplay went to The Big Short. Uh, That wasn't really a surprise and I think well deserved Mm -hmm. as well. Um, Best Original Screenplay went to Spotlight, which I also think was well deserved. um, Because that was a great, great film. And then actually the next major... I think the biggest surprise of the night then was in the Best Supporting Actor category, right? Yep, which went to Mark Rylance, A Bridge of Spies, who played Rudolph Abel. He beat out Christian Bale from The Big Short, Tom Hardy, The Revenant, and Mark Ruffalo from Spotlight. And I I disagree thoroughly. <laughs> and, and Sylvester Stallone. And Sylvester Sorry, this like cut He was cut off on the and actually, Creed. I think a lot of people expected Sylvester Stallone to win, and if not him, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. And I think you're just dis- more disappointed when this ended, because I actually thought that Mark Rylance was the frontrunner for a long he time. Was, yeah, and he was good in Bridge of Spies, but he just wasn't in the film enough. Yeah, he was like really in the first like half of the movie, and then he kind of ducks out until the last scene. And yeah, and then he's there again. But he was really good. And what he said in his speech... I, I, that's what kind of, if I would have been like, probably on the show, I'd have been like, you know, fuck that guy, this and that. But in his, in his speech, he said, I have no idea how they differentiate between us. He said, I think all of you does honestly deserve this award. This is yeah, what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, he says that as he's like, ha ha, fucker, look yeah. what I got. But, I don't know, I don't think he showed the same amount of range as 
Sly, Sly is Sly. You know, he does Sly. But Mark Ruffalo to me was just like above and And I agree, but I, mean, I the more I've thought about this category, the more I was hoping it went to Tom Hardy. Yeah, and then the too. Because he disappeared. He disappeared into that role to yeah. the point where like it's I think when we did our review for The Revenant we were both kind of like in awe yeah with he's how, this just horribly evil person in the way he talks and he carries himself just like Mark Ruffalo in uh in Spotlight he just looks like a different dude mm-hmm. even though we all know what Mark Ruffalo looks like we all know what Tom Hardy looks like yeah it's interesting interesting choices yes sir so for best actress it went to as predicted in Basically, they were saying it was going to happen before the show. Brie Larson, Room. Um, she played Ma. I think, I think she good, good too. I, th- I, think, I think this so. is a tough category, and she, yeah, good for her. I thought she was great in the movie. Yeah. And then, of course, best actor went to Leonardo DiCaprio, finally, for The Revenant. Save the whales. Save... <laughs> Save the snow. So, uh, yes, I mean, uh, I mean, well deserved. I, I know there's been a lot of discussion on whether or not this was truly the performance that he deserved it for. Uh, but yeah, I respectfully disagree because I really thought he was phenomenal in yeah, the film. I think he was a level above everyone else in that group. I think maybe the only other one in here who really gives him a run for his money was Brian Cranston and Trumbo. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 I think the difference between those two performances is that. Trumbo is so much more understated. It's so much more of a nuanced character and performance that uh, there's just more to kind of gawk and be an awe at in The Revenant. Yeah. Uh, so I think he deserved it, and I think everybody's happy he won. Yeah. And then, of course, Best Director. Two years in a row has gone to Alejandro G. Inaritu this year for The Revenant. Uh, so he joins... He's sort of transcended into Oscar... Lore. I mean, he's mm-hmm. one of like the three or four directors who's ever won two Best Actor, or I'm sorry, Best Director awards. And I don't think any director's ever won it two years in a row. No, I don't think so. That's extremely difficult. And he's actually, so then, this was an interesting thing, is that three years in a row, a Mexican director has won. So they're doing something right down in Mexico, mm-hmm. turning out these really talented directors. Yeah. And everyone in this category, too. A big. I have to say, big kudos to Adam McKay. Right? Because when we started doing this podcast, we were talking about, like, Adam McKay is going to direct this film. Like, yeah. he had done all these, like... Anchorman. Like, poop and fart joke movies. The man who directed Anchorman. And, you know, everyone loves that movie, but just to see him here now, you know? It's crazy. It's it's a huge transition. And, of course, in, I think this had to be, like, a 52 to 48 or, like, really tight vote. Best picture went to Spotlight. Which I think in the moment, I know I was expecting it in my prediction, which this is the first time I've gotten the best picture prediction wrong in years. Really? I thought The Revenant was going to get it. I yeah. think most people thought it was going to get it. You uh, had that as your number one, right? Yes. The Revenant. Yes. Mm-hmm. I well, pick, I picked but my right number one. Spotlight was my number three and Mad Max was my number two. And really, they're all interchange. They're all perfect movies, if you no, ask No, they me. are. Yeah, and, yeah. I liked Michael Keaton's reaction, though. He was they, pumped. They so was Mark Ruffalo. He was just like, fuck yeah. Just like, bah. Yeah, right? Two years, in, well, two years in a row. He starred yeah. in the movie that won Best Movie yeah. of the Year. Get Michael Keaton in your film. Right. Made that guy. All these movies, though, that were nominated for Best Picture, Spotlight, The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room, if you haven't seen them, 
Go see them. Go watch them. It's a really, really strong, really uh, strong movie. There's, n- I don't think there's any film that I have any issue with them being on this list. I think the only two movies I would have been slightly disappointed if they won was Bridge of Spies or Room. Mm-hmm. And I loved both of those movies, but I just felt like they were in Room. Maybe this sounds weird. I just felt like it was light. I, mm-hmm. I just felt like when Room played all of its cards, kind of at the halfway point, I just felt like it got predictable. Yeah. And with Bridges Spies, the whole movie kind of felt predictable, but it was so freaking well made that you can't really debate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, ri- great it. movies, for sure. All of them. Even the documentaries show those guys some love. Yes, sir. Documentary shorts. Show them some love, too. Yeah, if you're Louis C.K. If you're Louis C.K. These people are going to make no money. <laughs> that was so funny. That was great. Watch Louis C.K.'s deck. His, you know, show, comedy specials, all that good stuff. All right, now by the numbers, our weekly segment where we cover the top five grossing movies in the United States of America and also the occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Ethan, I'm starting. Okay, so number five this week was Triple Nine, uh, a new release this week, which actually was a pretty star-studded cast. Lots of big actors in it. Yeah. It just looked like some, I haven't, I don't know much about it. It's some sort of... Crime thriller. Anyways, Bank number five. Exactly. Not, number five, Triple Nine, made a $6.1 million on a $20 million budget. Uh, so, you know, while a pretty mod- modest budget, uh, I'm not sure. It's going to fall off fast, I think, despite yeah. the huge cast. But it looked, based on the trailer, it just looked kind of meh. But I don't know much about it. It looked predictable. Yeah. It looked yeah. like a third-rate heat. Yeah. And Daryl from The Walking Dead. That's right. I guarantee he's dirty in it and shoots sure. somebody. That's like his life now. Yeah, it's just kind of sad. He looks dirty. It's kind of sad. Number four is Risen, the Sony picture from Sony. Six point eight million. That's down forty two percent, and they've already grossed twenty two million, uh, just over twenty two point five on a twenty million dollar budget. So they made their money back in just two weeks. Yes, sir. All right, and then number three is Kung Fu Panda 3. This is its fifth week, so like I had predicted, this was going to stick around. I think we both kind of expected this to stick Mm -hmm. around in the top five for a while. Uh, It made $8.8 million this weekend with a total of $128 million on a $145 million budget. So I'm not sure if it's going to break even domestically, Mm -hmm. uh, but I feel like this this already has probably made its budget back. But who knows if we'll see another Kung Fu Panda movie. Yeah. And then at number two, we do have a flop alert here. Oh. And at number two is Gods of Egypt from Lionsgate Films. Grossed $14.1 million. And this is their first week. So they've made 14.1 on a $140 million budget. Made 10% of its gross back that, week one. And with what's coming on around the bend. And not only with big releases coming up, but this movie was... I think to say panned by critics would be an understatement. Yeah. People hated this movie, but I'm going to be honest. I usually like these kind of movies. Just fun, stupid popcorn in your mouth, laughing, chugging tequila. Yeah, just getting... <laughs> just dumb, dumb yeah. as hell movies. I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like these movies are easy targets. These big budget, stupid movies. Uh, and to see it flop isn't surprising to me, but people shitting on it, it's just an easy target. So I guarantee this is the kind of movie I go in and walk out of enjoying. Yeah. But uh, it, major flop. I mean, major flop. Yeah, from the look <laughs> of it. 
All right, and then so number one for the third week in a row is Deadpool, which made a pretty amazing $31.1 million uh, with a, uh, a total of $285 million on a $58 million budget. Huge. Huge. I think this is like the number three grossing R-rated movie of all time already or something like that. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I think that I think this I have to predict here that with how much money it's made that they'll push production and oh, yeah. something. We'll I mean see. this has been huge. Yeah, we'll see more Deadpool for sure. Faux show. So that's by the numbers. We will again we'll keep an eye on Gods of Egypt. I'm actually gonna try to go see it before our next episode too. So I can... Let's go see it, like, because I'm in town this weekend. Let's go see it. Okay, maybe. Get, like, super wasted. That's a better idea. I do live, like, right by the theater. <laughs> we can we could, walk. We could walk there. There's a bar between here and there. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that is By the Numbers. And coming up next, we've got our, obviously, album of the week. And you'll be hearing the music from that album in the breaks. Weekly and Roses will be right back. <laughs> title this week is um the black keys 2005 album before they were big just before they kind of hit the mainstream magic potion um so this was actually their fourth studio album by the american rock duo and was released on september 12 2006 pre-release was 2005 that's why it says 2005 and this was their uh, first release on none such records Uh, this marked the first time in the duo's history they wrote and composed entirely original material, unlike previous releases. Um, some recording and production new like notes, like the group's first two albums, um, not their third. They recorded um, in the r- drummer's basement, uh, Patrick Carney, and um, in Carney's estimation, the record was made using quote unquote five thousand dollars worth of crappy equipment. He went on to explain, "We paid three hundred fifty dollars to get it mastered." and mailed it to Warner Brothers, and we were done with it. All of the things we've ever done, that's my biggest regret, is that we were just kind of like, oh, okay. Wow. Ethan, Magic Potion. Well, you know, for all that trash talking about their, al- their own album, I actually think this is a pretty pretty awesome blues rock album. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a decent fan of the Black Keys. I think actually after this album and their next one, uh, Attack and Release, I think I really liked all their albums up until that, and then mm-hmm. their album Brothers, El Camino, and Despair. I don't even remember what their newest one was. I just thought it was bad. Yeah. I just think they, they've, this album is so kind of stripped down, and it's cheap sounding. It mm-hmm. does sound cheap and rugged, but this is like blues rock, so I actually think that the lo-fi, low production sound works for this. Yeah. And I actually, you know, to kind of go off topic, some of their other albums uh, since this one, to me, have sound overproduced. So I actually think um, uh, how, how kind of cheap this sounds it, it works in its favor. There's a lot of really great blues rock albums, a lot of great guitar riffs, you know, good vocals, and it's just it's a solid little album. Doesn't do anything special necessarily, but it's a good listen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of songs that I first heard 
of this album, like Your Touch um, and also just a little Heat. There were I'd, I'd heard them and they sounded really raw, which it has that it catches that sound really well. And I think the the issue they ran into later on was that they lost that organic that rawness. Yeah, rawness that that you can't you can't reproduce that because it just sounds kind of it's it sounds kind of laid back and lazy, but it's also at the same time it's sharp and it's mm -hmm. cool. I really like that sound where it just sounds like they set up a microphone in room. It doesn't sound, I don't think it sounds bad either. Yeah. Like they talk about how, how cheap it was to master. I actually think this sounds pretty good. It, sounds, it does sound good. I mean, they, they say they recorded this in an all concrete basement. So it's, you know, concrete walls basically in a wood ceiling. Right. Not a lot of decay, not a lot of, you know, in terms of drum specifics that require kind of an echo, that's not good for it. But it really worked, but they, I think they kind of captured that, that kind of raw rock and roll thing that you see with a lot of like hip music. Like I think of like super old school minimalistic stuff like Louie Louie and st songs like oh, that where it's time. like the kinks. so just <clears throat> stripped down and like they just, you know, like, okay, let's record this song right now. And then they just did it. Well, and this was also kind of 2002, what year did this come out? 2005, 2006? This was kind of that era where the, the White Stripes had really come out as the forefront of this low fidelity rock group that used cheap equipment, recorded albums quick and put them out there quickly. Mm. Um, this was kind of coattailing that whole uh, thing, and and I think yeah, it worked. That it's there's a lot of energy to it. Having said all that, I, I do think that if you look at their the band's discography specifically and just in general, I do think that it's not the greatest album ever. I think some of the songs here kind of are derivative. I think especially some of the slower songs on yeah. here, some of the more ballady type songs aren't great. I think the one ballad on here I actually really like is the third song in the album, You're the One. Mm -hmm. I actually like how that song, uh, that song sounds a lot, but some of the other ones are kind of boring. But luckily, most of the, the, though, the really rockin', loud blues rock tracks are great. Like the opening song, Just Gotta Be, is awesome. Like you had mentioned, the song Your Touch is mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, I enjoyed the song Modern Times has a really good uh, blues riff to it. The last track, Elevator. I think the song Strange Desire was kind of the more... Was it Strange Desire or Good Babylon? One of those two songs was more of a kind of a psychedelic type thing, but that one didn't quite work for me either. I think either. that was Good or So Long Babylon or whatever the... Goodbye Babylon. Babylon well, that's one of, yeah, one of those songs just felt like they were going for this heady thing, but... It didn't quite work out for me. Hit. So there was a couple of hit and miss type songs on here, but for the most part, it was pretty solid. Yeah, and just a little heat too, really registered with me for oh, some reason. For sure. Um, but yeah, just it, it's a good album, but it does it when they hit, they hit. But when they missed, they really missed with this album, which kind of I mean, it's not like a huge drawback. I have to think this sounds good on vinyl. I actually don't have this on vinyl. I, the only album I have with the Black Keys on vinyl, which is actually my favorite of theirs, is Rubber Factory, mm -hmm. which I think is a truly great album. And this one, while I think has a lot of the same lo-fi, awesome blues rock things going for it, I think some of the songwriting is in there. And hearing that this is their first album where they wrote all of the songs themselves on there is maybe a red flag, which is... I think maybe why after this, and I'm I'm in the minority here because after this album they took off in popularity. Mm -hmm. This makes me sound like a hipster. It really does. <laughs> but their album Brothers and El Camino and what the hell was the one? Well, they, I think they uh, the the last the one they released one. with like the weird. I just think they became overproduced and boring sounding mm -hmm. because they lost that 
ferocity, that drive. They just, to me, sound so much, so derivative now. What the hell was that album's name? Turn Blue. Yeah. I just felt like their last couple of albums have been kind of dull, and they've lost this edge. Didn't so. they win a, win a Grammy for El Camino? Yeah, I think they were actually in for best album of the year for El Camino. They didn't win. Wow. But uh, yeah, they, I mean they're they're very popular now, and I don't think any of their newest albums are necessarily bad. They just they're just kind of by the numbers to me. So this to me was the last time they really made a solid record. Yeah. It's good. What would you rate it? One to ten. Uh, I'm gonna give it a, a seven point five out of ten. Again, okay. love the energy on here. Love the. Just the rawness, and I love the lo-fi sound of it, but unfortunately not all the songs are great. I think there's two or three real duds on this, yeah, uh, and uh, maybe one or two other just kind of meh songs, but everything else is great. Yeah, and for me it was a seven, even seven, because it just the songs that missed missed a little bit too hard. Sure. And But even still, really good listen, awesome album. For sure. I Check it, it out. We're on to our one high-priority news item that we have for the music world, which I have to say high-priority news items for the music world are kind of rare. Well, there's happen. a lot of, like, lame, like, Twitter beefs between Iggy Azalea and other people. Oh, and... the Kanye watch is coming up next. Oh, Jesus. No, yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's a what lot it of, is. A lot of it's really lame now, and I think a lot of the other interesting music topics we have, people would be like, what? 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 <laughs> But um, the big one is that Bob Dylan's private archive is no longer his. For years, there have been rumors flying around that somewhere out there in the world, there's a massive archive of uh, Bob Dylan's collection of notebooks and poems and paintings and everything, which turned out to be true. And two groups, the George Kaiser Family Foundation and the University of Tulsa, jointly acquired the archive uh, for between 15 to 20 million. And the New York Times did get a preview of it. And said it's far more deep than pretty much anyone could ever imagine. I mean, that's that's just super interesting. Yeah. I mean, Bob Dylan is my favorite musician ever, and uh, I mean, I just can't imagine if there's so much stuff. I just I just wonder what's really in here. If there's mm -hmm. all these journal entries and poems, what are they? What do they say? Yeah. That they they dig into his psyche, and if if he's been collecting these things his whole life, I mean, the guy has gone through so many different stages as a musician and as a figure. He's gone from the beginning of his career he was this indie kind of folk guy who was just copying other people and then he was a folk hero who was doing these protest songs then he turned his back on them and was this rock and roll guy and then he was this country crooner and that was just the first five years he would go on to be a born-again Christian a new wave rock guy this kind of bluesy guy he is now I just can't imagine the the, the things that that could be in this that yeah give us insights into his career because he's been around for so long that it's 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 amazing so this is just really cool i think yeah and it's going to be on display at the um a museum in in tulsa of some sort i didn't i didn't get the name of it but it, this is how important it is it's actually going to be next to a literal copy of the declaration of independence at this museum Right, and I think Bob Dylan is one of those musicians where if you don't like his music, if you don't understand or appreciate his influence mm -hmm. on modern music, you're kind of fooling yourself. Because this guy, I mean, he did it all. Without him, we wouldn't do music. I don't even know. I couldn't even begin to fathom what things would be like now. Yeah. So, But yeah, that definitely stresses his, his how important his stuff is if that's the kind of attention this is getting. Yeah. But yeah, you can go check it out. Bobby D, Bobby Robert D. Zimmerman. 
He's from Minnesota. Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Land of 10,000 lakes. So our weekly installment is once again back. We're once again on Kanye Watch. Um, this week, Kanye decided to attack his former friend and cohort, Dead Mouse, who saw a Pirate Bay link with a sample that he sold previously for $189 on Kanye West Twitter feed. And I don't know how he saw that. But he said, what the F? You can afford serum, Dead, Dead Mouse tweeted. He went on to ask to start a Kickstarter fund for the now broke Kanye so he could afford the tracks. <laughs> Kanye would not, wouldn't have it. And he tweeted, is this person's name pronounced Dead Mouse 5? Okay, <laughs> serious question. Whose job is it to carry the head on, on the plane? Hashtag, do you check the Mickey Mouse? That's one long hashtag. Head or carry on or does it get hot? Then he went on to say, okay, another serious question. Is there a portable fan station? Hashtag you raise title subscription by a whopping three mouse emojis downloads question mark hashtag I'm bored hashtag when you get married will your wife wear a giant mini mouse head hashtag this brightened up my day thank you dead mao five or no it was dead mao give he actually did miss misspell that then he asked do you do birthday parties my daughter loves Minnie Mouse see see how we mentioned that when we're not talking about interesting things in the music world this is what we have to resort to this is yeah this is yeah what's funny is how he calls out him for something of, I don't even know what point he's trying to make about the title subscription what? but did you read that title is getting sued by a bunch of indie artists yeah. for not paying them the royalties which the whole point of title was to make sure that the musicians get paid what they deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dumb. I, I'm just amazed that he finds this stuff. Who, Kanye? Yeah. Like, how does he find this? Like, cause a... so many people have to tweet him on a daily basis. Well. And he finds this, like, minute. I mean, Dead Mouse if you is... look, If you look at his Twitter page, he follows one person, and that's mm -hmm. his wife. Yeah. So I'm sure there he has ghost accounts or he has ways i'm sure he hires all kinds of people to skewer the internet for this crap but yeah yeah he's just uh his album didn't quite hit like he was hoping people aren't talking about the album for his album's sake so yeah he's trying to attack musicians like dead mouse who are but he hasn't done anything really yeah i don't i just don't know. yeah i don't know so that's that that's our weekly kanye watch Tweeting like a beast. Ethan, what are you obsessed we with? We should, before we go into obsessions, we should retire the Kanye watch. I like it. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Kanye, you're done. Oh, obsessions. So, I'm sorry, so what am I obsessed with this week? Mm, well, I think, I think I already said this on a past episode. In fact, I'm positive, but I am, again, obsessed with Harry Potter. Because uh, I'm rereading those books like I had mentioned. But, I'll expand to say that I am kind of obsessed with Robert Jordan's fantasy series, The Wheel of Time, yep. as well. Because I actually went to Half Price Books, which is a used bookstore in our area, and I was able to locate some of the books I was missing from that series. And There's I got some the, interesting people at Half Price Books. Yes, sir. And I got, some, I got four of the books I was missing for real cheap, and I put them up on my shelf, and I'm real excited, and I'm kind of getting ready to rehash and re go over the the books i'd already read so i can jump back into the wheel of time but right now i'm just trying to finish the harry potter books again and i'm 
just done, almost done with the fourth one. And that's like all I can think of. Like when I leave here tonight, I'm going to go home and, and read Harry Potter. Because that's my life. That's my life. <laughs> what are you obsessed with? Right now, well, I'm obsessed with... Um, I was obsessed with the with the Academy Awards for a while. So oh. I was wondering who was going to win, but now that's not an obsession. It's done, man. And so now it's kind of the Sopranos, getting it done. Like I want to get... I know I've done it so many times before. I just want to get it done so I can start Sons of Anarchy... They had an ongoing boxing. Still watch a lot of boxing. Isn't that weird? Like, I get in that too when I'm watching a show that I want to watch where I'm like, I have this issue with movies and stuff too where I'm, I'm trying to make this less of an issue now. But mm -hmm. when it comes to movies and especially TV shows, when I'm watching a TV show, half the time I'm just thinking like, I can't wait to finish this show so I can watch the next one. Right. But it's like, wait a minute, why am I watching this then? I should be looking for the value in what I'm watching now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a trap. We're so bombarded by media. And there's so many shows. Not only are there a lot of shows, but then access to them is super, super easy. No, it's, it's true. It's, it's, you can, you know. And that you, just, you just mentioned that one documentary that's on Netflix that I'm probably going to now want to go watch. <laughs> but no, it's, it's true, though, because I, I just, it's one of the things I've been doing in 2016. Instead of making all these lists and looking at all this, oh my God, I need to see this movie, this show, that movie, I want to read this book, I want to hear this album. I've been taking inventory. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what have I seen already? What do I think of what I've already seen, what I've already heard, what I've already experienced? Because those are the things that I've built the foundation, which I now stand on, mm -hmm. upon. So I'm trying to kind of take inventory and move out from there. For So when I'm watching a movie... Now what I've been doing is if I'm watching a movie or TV show, I put my phone, my computer, iPad, it's all in a different room. Mm -hmm. I don't want it near me because I know I'm going to go on it. And I want to just stay, you know, focused on what I'm experiencing. It's just the theory I've been working on because I'm trying to live more in the moment with those kind of things. Otherwise, what's the point in all this? Right. You know? Kind of We're weird. just a machine waiting to stop. <laughs> Jesus. No, that's, that's obsessions. Yeah, man. It is what it is. Got to get this mixer hooked up. Oh, we should. Oh, I'm hopefully going to be ordering a new mic soon, but we have yet to determine which microphones we... We're figuring it out. Yes. It won't be too long. I'm hoping in the next, like, three weeks. I feel like our first episode... I feel like we should put a deadline on it. Yeah. So we have to do it by... Otherwise, then. I'm just going to keep compiling more You know what? More in the next research. three weeks, we're going to have... New microphones. New microphones. And then the very first episode, we should just horribly break trademark and just have a Doors intro and then us talking. We're just going to play Dark Side of the Moon clear. straight through. Hello. <laughs> what this does that have to do with Dark Side of the Moon? That's this weird. Neurosis. <laughs> no, but that's it. This has been the magic episode. It's been awesome. It has been. We actually, we were regulation time. Yeah, I thought this was going to run long, but I think um, I, I, I just expected myself to talk more about The Witch. Because I love it so much. Yeah. I just love it, man. It's a good movie. Not for everyone, though. It's kind of, I, I wish, it. that's the thing, I just wish more people could appreciate films like that. I know, and that's what, instead of getting angry when I heard people in the theater saying, oh, well, that was not everybody, there's a couple people who were kind of groaning at the end. It, it, I, well, I used to be at a point in my life where I would get angry and be like, well, you're just dumb, you don't get it. But now I'm just like, Come on, man. There's so much there to, to dig into and enjoy. And mm -hmm. What don't you see? What is it? What do you What do you need? What do you need? Let me yeah. help you. But I just have to let my little butterflies go and kind of, you know, run my own, run my own farm. <laughs> run my own butterfly farm. 
That's what I want to own. That's my new obsession is figuring out how to make a butterfly farm. Anyways, it's been fun, everybody. Weekly Neurosis, I'm Nate. And I am Ethan. And please, everyone, take care.